ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Just Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Will Gardner, and today we are back with another Formula One race weekend recap. We are going to head to round two out of 23 of the 2023 Formula One season. It is the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix from Jeddah, the second night race of the season, and quite an interesting race, I think, very similar to Bahrain in the fact that Maybe not the most exciting race for the common, the average Formula 1 fan. But if you look deeper underneath the surface of this race, there is a lot going on, a lot of controversy, and a lot of things to talk about. So we are going to run it all down, recap the entire Saudi Arabian weekend right here on the Just Sports Podcast. So as I'm going to recap and kind of refresh you guys on how this format is going to work unlike last year where i would rate each driver's weekend now rather i'm rating each team's weekend starting from my 10th place or the team i thought did the worst over the weekend all the way up to first place so let's waste no time at all let's jump right into it let's just look at the saudi arabian grand prix um just an overview real quick it was the second round of the season Saudi Arabia is a night race, as I mentioned earlier, and also is, well, many people have coined it as a street circuit, when in reality it's not. It's a very tight track, very windy, very you know high speed. Um, the walls are very, very close to the track, very reminiscent of Monaco or Azerbaijan is probably a better comparison, but it's not a street circuit because you look at a street circuit like Monaco or Azerbaijan, when it's not race weekend, those are just you know normal city streets that normal cars are going on. But that's not the case in Saudi Arabia. This is a track that was built for racing. It is not used for you know your recreational roads or transportation during the year. Simply used as a racetrack. So it while it has many characteristics very similar to a typical street circuit, it itself is not a street circuit. So that's a common uh, misconception that many people have about. Jetta, but that, that, that doesn't take away from its entertainment. Personally, it's one of my favorite tracks to watch the drivers go around. It is so technical, very difficult. I mean, these high-speed corners with the walls so, so close, it's absolutely insane the amount of skill it takes to have success here in Saudi Arabia. So with that being said, let's jump right in with my 10th team of the weekend, the team that I thought did the worst over this race weekend. And I'm going to go with McLaren. Now, McLaren was down the order last weekend. Let's see if I can pull up the results. I do not have it on me. But I think they were, you know, ninth or 10th last weekend, which was Bahrain, the opening round. And they're back down in 10th for the second round. Just a abysmal start for the McLaren Formula 1 team, both in Bahrain. Preseason testing even, they're bad. And now in Saudi Arabia, there wasn't much optimism coming into the weekend for McLaren. Of course, their race pace in Bahrain looked somewhat decent, but their reliability was absolutely awful and that continued into this race now Lando Norris did a little bit of a mistake coming out of turn 27 during qualifying he was down in p20 no not p20 that was someone else he was down in p19 I believe um was able to fight his way back a little bit but his teammate Oscar Piastri the rookie in his only second ever race in Formula One Qualified up in P8. So it was a great performance by Oscar Piastri. And you had McLaren thinking, you know, maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to contend for some points this weekend, get our first points of the season, kind of, you know, get the monkey off their back, and then they can push forward. Unfortunately, though, on lap one, turn two, only made it two turns before something went wrong for McLaren. 
It was Oscar Piastri making contact with the Alpine car of Pierre Gasly. Gasly's car was untouched, but the front wing of Oscar Piastri's McLaren was broken. And guess what? The debris that came off of Oscar Piastri's car went, you know, obviously onto the track. And guess who ran it over? Yes, it was the other McLaren of Lando Norris. So a little friendly fire there. Of course, not Oscar's fault, but in a sense, friendly fire. And I mean, McLaren, just a massive stroke of bad luck right there. And nothing really has gone their way this season. Not to say that their bad performances have been all bad luck, but it's been a combination of, of course, unfortunate luck and also just lack of reliability or pace from the car. So that contact both you know, on Oscar Piastri's car and then the debris um, getting interfered with Lando Norris's car causes both of them to pit very, very early. Then both of them, Oscar, no, Oscar Piastri went the rest of the race, 49 laps on hard tires, which was a very impressive performance by him. He was able to finish up in P15, showed off some pretty good wheel-to-wheel racing moves against Logan Sargent and also his teammate Lando Norris, which I'll touch on in a moment. And Lando Norris, who pitted another time under the safety car, was only able to finish in 17th. So, very poor weekend for McLaren. Big talking point around them is, one, they're making a lot of internal change changes in their upper management that was announced um, earlier this week that their technical director will be leaving, and they're kind of cleaning house a little bit, Andreas Seidel and the McLaren and Zach Brown and the McLaren team. Obviously, the last two years have been kind of a downward trajectory for a team that was looking very, very promising in the early, you know, very early 2020s, you know, 2019, 2020, 2021, they had a ton of momentum. And then 22 and 23 come around, and they have just continued to drop down the field. So some big changes coming internally for McLaren. But also another talking point from the English-based team was the battle between Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri. Now, at the end of the race, Oscar Piastri was right on Lando Norris's tail. Lando was attempting to get past Logan Sargent in the Williams, who's ahead of him. Now, Lando Norris, albeit, was on the medium tire, and Oscar Piastri was on the hard. Now, Lando Norris's mediums had gone for quite a while. But as I mentioned, Oscar Piastri was on those tires since lap one. So both McLaren's kind of managing their tires there a little bit, also trying to battle with Logan Sargent. But it was McLaren who stepped in and told Lando, do not fight with Oscar, let him buy. So little team orders coming in there, and then Oscar was able to get by Lando Norris and eventually get past Logan Sargent, which Lando Norris was unable to do. So as a whole, many people have been saying, you know, this was one of Lando's worst race weekends in Formula One. Of course, he's been in Formula One since 2019 when he made his debut. He's been with McLaren every single year. And I would have to agree. He was just way, way off the pace. And even with the damage, um, debris in his car had to make that early stop. He was just never on the pace that you would expect. Of course, they fixed the issue, but he just never got back to that spot. And Oscar Piastri simply looked better than him this weekend. And Oscar Piastri, of course, an incredibly talented rookie, former um, former Formula 2 champion. But this is only his second race in Formula 1. Lando Norris is an established, one of the great, one of the best drivers on the grid at the moment. At least he was for recent years. Um, and Oscar just looked straight up quicker than him and was able to get past and then get past Logan Sargent as well. So, personally, I was very impressed with Oscar Piastri, of course. Who, you know, you were saying, oh, Will, why are you impressed with a P15? I mean, that's nothing, not even near the points. But considering the damage he had on his car, which was not his fault, it was actually Pierre Gasly was trying to get his elbows out a little bit and ran into Oscar a little bit. Of course, it was a racing incident. No penalty was handed out, but wasn't on Oscar. And then he was able to show really good pace, really good tire management to get the hard tires 49 laps all the way to the end and was quicker than Lando Norris. So 
I mean, overall, terrible weekend for McLaren down in P15 and P17, and just nothing went right for them with bad luck and bad performances. But I think uh, you know, a little source of optimism for them could be Oscar Piastri looking very, very promising indeed. We move on now to my ninth team, which was the Italian team of Alfa Romeo. Now, Alfa Romeo, if you remember to my preseason testing recap, they were very promising in preseason testing. And we got to Bahrain, and they looked all right. You know, Valtteri Bottas was able to snatch up some points. And Zhou Guanyu was able to grab the fastest lap in that race, which was very impressive. So they looked like they had some pace maybe to be a midfield car. And now we get to Saudi Arabia, and they just had a really poor, really poor weekend. Of course, Valtteri Bottas um, on lap one allegedly ran over some debris, and that was affecting his pace. But he was down in P18, and he was something, you know, 10, 20 seconds behind Lando Norris, who was in P17. So Valtteri Bottas was nowhere near any other driver, not in the conversation at all, which is very, very unusual for Valtteri, who's usually a very consistent driver, a veteran season driver as well, of course, from his time with Williams and Mercedes. He's supposed to be that team leader. He was really, really far off the pace, which so, I mean, just very disappointing from Valtteri Bottas this weekend. And then Zhou Guanyu was able to... You know, fight up in P13. I believe he got all the way up to, you know, P10, P11 at some point. And then with the when the safety car came out as a result of Lance Stroll's DNF, Zhou Guanyu had just pitted the lap before, which meant all the cars in front of him were able to get a free pit stop, which that, of course, dropped him down the order to P13. And there he had a nice little scrap with Nico Hulkenberg and Nick DeVry a little bit. Um, but P13 wasn't really contending for points following the safety car. And the pace of the car just really wasn't reminiscent of a point-scoring car. So I think for the promise that Alfa Romeo have showed you know, through preseason testing, and even Bahrain, I thought they were pretty solid, um, this was definitely not the result they would have been looking for. Of course, going forward, I think there is still a lot of optimism for Alfa Romeo. Zhou Guanyu has looked to take, I mean, at least even through the first two races, has seemed to take a big step into year two. So I'm very excited to watch Zhou Guanyu throughout the rest of the season. And of course, Valtteri Bottas, big disappointment this weekend, but no concerns there. I believe Valtteri is one of the most consistent drivers on the grid, but just a poor weekend for Alfa Romeo out in Jeddah. Uh, P8 for my team standings from the Jeddah Grand Prix was Ferrari. If you remember, Bahrain, Ferrari was very low down the order as well on my list, and now they're in P8. Ferrari, Ferrari, what is happening just another typical year of the Ferrari shenanigans, as people call it, the Ferrari Masterclass, which is ironic because they are one of the worst ran teams in Formula One. Of course, heading into the season, they got rid of team principal Mattia Bonotto. They thought everything was going to be fine, but really, people are coming out saying Mattia was not the problem. And I think I have to agree with that because last year, they had so many strategy blunders and just reliability issues, and it was just a mess, just an absolute mess at Ferrari last year. Now, this year, they bring in Fred Vasseur from Alfa Romeo to lead the team in hopefully a new direction. Of course, Fred has not been able to implement his entire system. He doesn't have all the people in places that he wants them to be, so that will take time. But for the time being, this is still a poorly ran Ferrari team. Of course, the strategy this weekend was not that bad, but you have to look at their car as a whole. You had Charles Leclerc who started down in P15 following his engine issue that he had in Bahrain. He had to switch some components of his engine, which gave him a grid penalty down in P15 to start the race. He was able to climb his way up, and actually on his first stint on the soft tires, 
it was very, very competitive, and I was watching, and I thought, you know, Charles Leclerc could absolutely make a push at the podium here, maybe P4, P3 challenge Fernando for that P3 spot, but he switched over to the hard tires to finish the race off, and that Ferrari had absolutely no pace on those hard tires, was not competitive at all, both drivers complaining that their car is just horrendous at managing tires. I mean, their car struggles on those harder tires. It did last year as well. I mean, on the mediums and hards, the pace just falls off tremendously for the Ferrari, and it, that seems to have carried over this season. So, I mean, while the strategy this weekend was not bad, those internal struggles where they have an issue with their car, they had this issue with their car last year, and they just cannot figure out a solution to this. And it's been over a year now. You'd really expect a top team, or historically top team like Ferrari, to be able to figure this out. And solve this problem, but they just did not. So both Charles and Carlos Sainz struggled massively on their second stints on those hard tires. We're nowhere near even the pace, you know, nowhere near the Red Bulls, which no one was. No one near nowhere near Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin. And really we're not competitive at all to both Mercedes, which are, you know, Aston Martin and Mercedes were two teams we expected Ferrari to be faster than heading to the season. And at this point, they just simply are not sure. Their qualifying pace has been pretty impressive. Um, I think Ferrari have definitely have a shot at a couple poles this year, but the race pace is just really, really lacking. Um, Charles Leclerc was P7, Carlos Sainz finished in P6, so very disappointing weekend for Ferrari. P7, I have Williams. Now, I think there's a pretty big gap between the performance of Williams and Ferrari this weekend. Of course, Williams being in P7, but that doesn't necessarily mean I thought they did a bad job. I thought they were actually pretty decent this weekend. Um, the, you know, James Vowles, the new team principal for Williams was not too angry out this weekend. Of course they had Alexander Albon who Albon was up contending for that P10 position early in the race. And the Williams actually looked quite pacey. I must say, um, unfortunately he suffered a brake issue on lap 27 and was forced to limp his way back home and retire from the race. So, you know, that's a case of, you know, what could have been for Alexander Albon? I certainly think he had a shot at grabbing that P10 spot and grabbing another point for Williams, which would be a tremendous start to their season. Unfortunately, he had the DNF, but some positives. His pace did look really, really solid, and the Williams, I mean, it surely seems to have some pretty solid race pace, and I, I expect them to be contending for that P10, P9 spot in multiple races this season. And then, of course, on the other side of the garage, Logan Sargent making his second career Formula 1 start. Um, I thought he was pretty impressive. Of course, I, I I don't think he was quite on the pace of Alexander Albon, but I don't think you can expect that this early in the season. Um, and I think overall, I think Logan has been the most impressive rookie through these first two races. He finished this race in P16, right behind Oscar Piastri, but he had a nice battle with Oscar at, at the end of the race. He was also up contending with Joe Guan Yu and Nick DeVries um, in the you know kind of final third of the race. Of course, then he was on the medium tire. That tire fell off due to graining really on everyone's car near the end of the race, and he wasn't able to do much. And then, of course, with the tire management issues and the tire graining, he dropped behind Oscar Piastri, but was up contending for P13 at a time, P12. Um, so I think the Williams has shown a lot of improvement from last year. It has shown signs that, you know, in the right circumstances, it can be very quick. I think the race pace as a whole is very, very solid, of course. Reliability issues for Alexander Albon and then you know, strategy wasn't maybe not the greatest for Logan Sargent. Um, also, tire management seems to be an issue for that Williams. But I think overall, I think they could be very happy with where the pace of their car was. Of course, no points this weekend. But 
some positives going forward for Williams for a team that has not had a lot of positives over the last you know six years. I think they're trending in the right direction for sure. P6, I have Alpha Tauri. Now Alpha Tauri had a pretty solid weekend out in Bahrain with you know with Yuki Tsunoda finishing P11. Nick DeVries I think was P14 in that race, and they finished in a very similar order this weekend. Of course, Alpha Tauri was expected to be. One of those backmarker teams. They were last year, of course, second, I mean, ninth, second to last in the Constructors Championships in 2022. This season expected more of the same. Um, and they've looked pretty competitive, I must say. Now, I would still put them in the category of that bar- backmarker. But, you know, at this point in the season, it seems that they are on the pace of Williams. They can contend with Alfa Romeo. And it seems at this moment, they are, in fact, faster than McLaren. So I think. Some progress being made, maybe very minimal progress, but AlphaTauri is trending in the right direction, I believe. Yuki Tsunoda, for the second race in a row, finished in P11. I mean, he just had an awesome battle with Kevin Magnussen in the Haas for, you know, the last six laps or so. Those two were just going back and forth for that final points position. Of course, Kevin Magnussen was able to edge Yuki Tsunoda out. Kevin got the one point. Yuki finished in P11, which is zero points. But a very mature drive, I think, from Yuki Tsunoda. I think the Yuki Tsunoda of old would have maybe been too aggressive in that battle maybe led to some contact of course Magnuson and Sonoda both two historically uh, very aggressive drivers so I thought it was a very mature drive from Yuki Sonoda I thought he managed his tires well and had surprising pace in that Alpha Tari. I think Yuki did in fact outperform that car this weekend so I was very impressed with Yuki Sonoda finishing in P11 then P14 was his rookie teammate Nick DeVries um, Nick DeVries pretty solid weekend for him I will say qualifying not very quick but did have a pretty good race, was right up there contending with Joe Guan Yu and Nico Hulkenberg, and Oscar Piastri at the end of the race was able to finish P14 behind Joe Guan Yu, but in front of Piastri. Um, I don't think this has been the start that many have expected from Nick DeVries. Of course, remember last year when he hopped in as a reserve driver in Imola, or not Imola, sorry, in Monza, when Alexander Albon had to take a leave of absence due to a medical issue. Nick DeVries was able to hop in and score P9 on his debut race in a Williams car. So people had really high expectations for him. Of course, he's 28 years old, um, which is a very old rookie. So a lot of people were expecting him to come in and be able to perform right away. He hasn't been quite that quick. Definitely quite a bit off the pace of Yuki Tsunoda. In fact, in this race, he was um, 10 seconds behind Yuki Tsunoda over the course of the race. So definitely some more improvement that needs to be made from Nick DeVries. But I think as a whole... I think both drivers are coping with this car pretty well. I don't think this car is worthy of a P11 or a P14, but they're doing their best with it, and I have been pretty impressed. So I thought for Alpha Tauri to be in that P11 position, almost scoring points, was a pretty solid weekend for them with multiple positives. We move on now to my top five teams of the weekend. At P5, I have Haas. Now, Haas took a big step forward last year. They were expecting the same this year. Now, in Bahrain, they looked very, very poor. Their race pace was nowhere to be seen. Kevin Magnussen struggled massively, and Nico had the damage in the beginning of the race, which hindered his pace. Now, heading to Saudi Arabia, they're expecting to bounce back, and they did. Nico Hülkenberg was able to finish in P12, which, of course, his pace was not quite there, was close to battling with Yuki Tsunoda for P11, of course, was able to hold off Zhou Guan Yu and Nick DeVries for P12, which was pretty impressive. Um, but then it was his teammate, Kevin Magnussen, who was able to snatch Haas's first points of the season 
with a P10 finish. I thought it was a very mature drive from Kevin Magnuson. Very controlled, kind of that controlled chaos in his attack against Yugi Tsunoda, which I, like I mentioned, was over six laps long and was able to finally get that position. Of course, he was 10 seconds behind the next car, which was Pierre Gasly in the Alpine. So definitely some gains that still need to be made at Haas. But I think considering how their first race weekend went, I thought this was a big improvement for them. I think both those drivers, Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg, are always going to be in that contention for that P10 point. I think there's a pretty big gap between Alpine, who I would say is probably the fifth fastest team, and I think Haas is the sixth fastest team. So I think there's a pretty big gap there. But there's still going to be some points in contention for Haas this season. And Kevin Magnussen was able to maximize on maybe, you know, the DNF from Lance Stroll, which freed up that position. He was able to maximize on that opportunity. And that might be what the season is all about for Haas, is maximizing the opportunities when they arise. Two very veteran drivers. I think that's absolutely the approach they're going for. And it worked this weekend. So pretty impressed with Haas and pretty impressed with both Nico and Kevin on their performances for the weekend. In P4... I had Alpine. Alpine had a double points finish in Bahrain. Of course, they didn't quite close the gap to Mercedes or Ferrari as much as they would have hoped, but I think they're still planted very firmly in that fifth place position, the fifth fastest car behind Red Bull, Aston Martin, Ferrari, and Mercedes. Of course, double points finishes are always good for a midfield team, so I thought this was a pretty solid weekend. For Alpine, of course, Esteban Ocon was the fastest of the two French drivers they have. He was in P8, and then Pierre Gasly was in P9. Pretty lonely race for both of them as they were, you know, 10 seconds behind the car in front, which was Charles Leclerc. They were also 10 seconds ahead of the car behind, which was Kevin Magnussen. They were, they were kind of in their own little world there, that kind of middle ground where they're not really contending with the cars in front, but they're quicker than the cars behind. And I, I don't think they're going to complain about that. I mean, it was undramatic. It was smooth. And it was, and of course, nothing in Formula 1 is smooth and easy. But they made it look very smooth and easy. And getting a double points finish is always good. So pretty impressed with Alpine. Of course, they're going to want to take another step, start contending with Mercedes and Ferrari when they have a bad day, and potentially Aston Martin as well. But for now, they're seated very comfortably as that fifth fastest car, able to grab those low point positions which is exactly what they did this weekend. In P3, we get to my top three teams on the weekend. I have Aston Martin. Now, Aston Martin have looked pretty comfortably the second fastest car this season, which has been an incredible performance from them considering where they were at this time last year, arguably the slowest car, and now the second fastest car has been incredible. Now, in this race, their pace looked very, very strong. In free practice, actually, it looked as if Fernando Alonso might be able to contend for the race win. I mean, their pace looked very on par with the Red Bull, of course, but then in the race, um, the Red Bulls just pulled out some crazy race pace that was unmatched by anybody. But still a very solid weekend for Aston Martin. Of course, Lance Stroll was running up in P5, P6, until he had, I think it was an electronics issue. Still not a whole lot of information on his weird DNF, but he only completed 16 laps in this race before retiring he of course caused the safety car to come out which affected this race pretty significantly um but he was he has had some pretty solid race pace not on the pace of fernando alonso but i, I don't think we can expect him to be fernando of course a two-time world champion i don't think lance stroll is ever going to get to that point where he is able to contend with fernando alonso on a weekly basis but 
was in a position to grab some very, very good points for Aston Martin before the issue, which was not his fault at all. And then Fernando Alonso was lined up in P2 to start the race due to Max Verstappen's engine issue in Q2. And right from turn one, he was able to get past Sergio Perez. He got an excellent start, was alongside Perez, went down the inside and took the position. So Fernando Alonso racing in P1 for the first time in a long, long time. He had that lead position. He held on to it for about five laps before Sergio Perez was able to use DRS and get back past him and take the lead. And from there, Sergio just pulled away. And then, of course, in the later laps, Max Verstappen came by and got past Fernando for P2. But, I mean, come on. Do we really expect Fernando to hold back those Red Bulls? Absolutely not. And quite frankly, Fernando being able to stay ahead of George Russell was very, very impressive. Now, a lot of controversy around Fernando Alonso and George Russell. So let me explain. Um, we saw it in Bahrain with Esteban Alcon. When he was coming up to the grid, of course, on the grid, you have your 20 grid spots for the 20 cars. And these grid spots are these white painted, like, half rectangle things and you have to line up your two wheels inside of it and you can't go over the front line now Esteban Ocon in Bahrain was too far to the left and he received a 10 second time penalty for that now it has been said and it is true that these Formula One cars it is incredibly difficult almost impossible for these drivers to be able to look and see those lines so it's almost just instinct they see it while they're approaching but when they get close to it they just cannot see it from their spot in the cockpit which makes it very very difficult that's what happened to Espen Ocon and it happened to Fernando this weekend he was too far to the right and his wheel was over it now Fernando finished the race in p3 and there's no penalty at this time but there was an investigation by the FIA now this investigation had been going on for 35 laps and continued after the race Fernando was able to you know, finished in P3, went up to the podium, got his trophy, celebrated with the champagne, and it was his 100th career podium in Formula 1, which is something only six other drivers have ever done. So this was a big, big deal for Fernando Alonso to get that 100th podium in his career. And then following that, he received the penalty, which promoted George Russell to P3. Now, Aston Martin, they built up a massive database of other cars doing it and not receiving a penalty and other cars were actually a little bit over on the grid in this race and they just compiled just it was like a you know a case in court that just brought all this information to the FIA and said you know we do not deserve this penalty and later that day they decided the FIA decided we will give Fernando back his podium so for, for Fernando he finished p3 then it was P4, and now it is officially a P3 finish for Fernando, which was his 100th podium in Formula 1. Very, very impressive. George Russell, of course, finished P4 for Mercedes. Now, that brings up a talking point. It is expected that the FIA will kind of ease up on those pretty harsh penalties on the grid spot. It doesn't necessarily give your car an advantage if it's to a little bit, you know, inches to the left or inches to the right. really doesn't make that big of a difference. So it is expected the FIA will not be as harsh in that ruling anymore because it's very, very difficult for the drivers to see those lines on the ground. Now, Fernando in P3 for Aston Martin, as I mentioned, did not have the pace. It wasn't really near the Red Bulls at all. He was 20 seconds behind Max Verstappen. Or, no, sorry. He was 20 seconds behind the leader, Sergio Perez, 15 seconds behind Max Verstappen. Um, but was five seconds clear of George Russell, the next closest car in the Mercedes. So pretty similar to the Alpines. I thought 
Fernando Alonso in that Aston Martin was kind of in his own world. Not fast enough to contend with the cars in front, but faster than the cars behind, so pretty comfortably in P3, which is, I mean, come on, that's a tremendous performance by Aston Martin, and they will take that every single time. Fernando, very pleased with the car. I was on the, you know, this weekend. Lovely, lovely weekend, lovely car. He is loving life with Aston Martin, and I mean, we're all loving watching him. He's been incredibly entertaining this year, and I can't wait to watch what he can do the rest of the year. So I was very impressed with Aston Martin. But I was more impressed with Mercedes, who I have as my second-best team on the weekend. And it's interesting for Mercedes. George Russell finished in P4. Great, great performance by George Russell. Lewis Hamilton finished in P5. A little bit of conflict between those two, which I will get to in a moment. Now, I just want to go quick overview of Mercedes. They were really, really slow in Bahrain. I believe, you know, P6, P7, whatever. And they were all in the press. They're making this big deal about it. Like, oh, we need to radically change their car. And it, that is still expected. They are expected to radically change you know, their side pods and really just the whole design of their car. Those updates are expected to come for the Imola Grand Prix in Italy. But now we get to Saudi Arabia, and they are the third, potentially the second fastest car. And their pace this weekend was pretty, pretty strong, I must say. And it, you, it brings up the question, do they need this radical change? Did they just have the setup wrong in Bahrain? And now this was the true pace of their car, which is not that bad. I mean, for, for Mercedes, this is a very solid base for them to build from if they stick with this car concept. Now, it, you know, switching their car concept, switching the side pods is very, very risky because if you make that change and it doesn't work, then you're stuck with it. And that change was for nothing. And you're investing a lot of money into changing that entire you know you're basically changing the entire bodywork of your car so it's going to look incredibly different now the inner workings of the car won't change but the outer part the aerodynamic part all that's going to change it's very expensive and now with the budget cap in formula one that has to be brought you know in the back of their minds is this worth the money and the capital we're going to have to spend on this and the time of course when they could be spending the time developing this version of their car which really it's not that horrific. I mean, George Russell, P4, was only five seconds behind Fernando Alonso, five seconds away from a podium, and Lewis Hamilton was, you know, six seconds behind George, and I thought the pace was not that bad. So I, I'm not sure about Mercedes' decision to radically change their car. We'll see if it works out for them, of course, and, you know, we'll see what happens there. But um, let's get back to the positions of the two Mercedes. George was in P4, Lewis was in P5. Now, after the safety car... George was on the hard tires, and Lewis Hamilton was on the medium tires. Now, those medium tires were expected to be very, very quick at the restart. Lewis really was not that quick after the restart in the medium tires, so I think did not maximize his potential on those tires. But later in the race, he was caught up to the back of George Russell, and he was thinking, oh, maybe I can get past. I can contend with Fernando, and Lewis seemed to be quicker at that moment. But... So, you know, Mercedes were mulling over. Do we let Lewis by? He's on the faster tires. Maybe he can go give Fernando a run for his money. But George Russell, it was George Russell actually on the team radio who kind of said, no, I'm not letting him by. I can pull away. And he did. George Russell put the hammer down against a seven-time world champion and pulled away. So I was really, really impressed with George Russell. He kind of took over that role of team leader in a sense. Of course, Lewis Hamilton, a seven-time world champion. Um, is obviously the leader of that Mercedes squad. But it was George Russell who kind of showed some authority and said, no, 
I'm here, I'm faster than, and I'm going to show you. And it proved that right because he finished ahead and Lewis Hamilton by six seconds. So very, very impressed with George Russell on the weekend. Um, maybe a little tension there between those two, but I don't think it's a problem that Mercedes need to worry about. Now, there may very well be some tension between these two drivers I'm about to talk about. My top team of the weekend was once again Red Bull, who finished 1-2 very convincingly. Max Verstappen went from P15 to P2 very quickly and very easily and finished in that second-place position, where Sergio Perez raced an incredible weekend, was in control the entire time, had incredible pace, and even at the end of the race when Max Verstappen was in second place, and many of us, including myself, thought, you know, here comes Max Verstappen. He's going to catch up to Sergio Perez, and he's going to get past and win this race. Sergio matched the pace of Verstappen and kept him five seconds behind. So Sergio Perez was absolutely brilliant this weekend. Now I mentioned a little bit of tension between these two. Of course, if you remember back to Brazil last year when Max would not, where Sergio let Max buy on the condition that he would give back the position, and Max declined. Max did not give the position back, so there's a big bit of tension over that and now we get to just the second race of this season we already have more tension between the two red bull drivers um this was late late in the race in the last couple laps of this race we know how important every single point is in the formula one championship i mean look no further than 2021 where lewis hamilton and max verstappen were tied on points heading into the last race so every single point matters now you all know that the fat, the driver who gets the fastest lap, if they're in the top 10, gets an extra point added to their total for their position. So Sergio Perez had the fastest lap in those final couple laps, and he was told by the Red Bull team to maintain a pace. That pace was 133, uh, lap time of 133. And it's incredible. Formula 1 drivers are very – it's incredible – they're so precise that you can tell them, okay, I want a 133-0, and they'll go out there and do it. And they know exactly what they need to do to do it. So Sergio Perez was out there managing his tires where Max Verstappen behind championship mentality. He's asking, what's the fastest lap? Because he wanted that fastest lap. And the Red Bull team was very hesitant to tell him, but they eventually did. And on the last lap of the race, Max Verstappen stole the fastest lap of the, the race and got that extra point, which, you know, you say, that's not important. Well, if Sergio were to gotten the fastest lap, he would be leading the championship right now, but he's not. Since Max Verstappen got that fastest lap, of course, it's only two races out of the season, but since he got that fastest lap, he leads the championship by one point over his teammate Sergio Perez. So it is very important. Sergio was pretty upset about this. Um, he was upset that his team told him to manage the tires when his fastest lap was in jeopardy and eventually got stolen, where Sergio Perez thinks, you know, hey, hey, if I was told Max was going for the fastest lap, then I would have pushed as well and very well may have held on to that fastest lap. So he was a little annoyed there. Um, I could, you know, now that they're kind of just the car that's so clear ahead, it's really just those two contending for the race wins, uh, which I think could boil over in some you know, potential collisions later in the year. Um, some more tension between those two as they battle for the championship. Um, very reminiscent of 2014 when, or to, yeah, really just 2014, 2015, and 2016 where Mercedes were so far ahead of everyone else that that caused a lot of conflict between their two drivers, which was Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. 
and that manifested itself into a lot of on-track incidents between the two and now off-track. They're not friends at all anymore um, because of that. And Sergio and Max, who had a very decent relationship in 2021 and 2022 up until that Brazilian Grand Prix, and now everyone's looking at it, and it's like there's a lot of tension between those two, and it's going to boil over into something very, very soon. So I think a lot of people um, in Red Bull are worried about that between those two. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens. For the time being, they both finished 1-2. Wasn't too big of an issue between those two. And Red Bull, 2-1-2 two, two finishes to start the season. Absolutely incredible. They've built an incredible car. Adrian Newey just worked his magic again. I mean, that car is absolutely insane. So that's all I have for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix of 2023. That was our second round of the season. As I mentioned, Max Verstappen is still our championship leader, but only by one point over Sergio Perez. So now the next race, now we'll pull it up, is the Australian Grand Prix from Melbourne, Australia. Albert Park is the name of the circuit. Now this one is actually a street circuit because it is on the streets around this park in Melbourne. Um, but it's not, you know, your typical street circuit where the cor the walls are very tight to the corners. It's pretty, o it's more open than those. So it usually doesn't cause as much of an issue for the drivers. This race weekend will be, I'm looking for the date, March 31st. So we have, you know, not this weekend, but one more week to go until the Australian Grand Prix. So very, very excited for this race. We'll see. Will it be some more tension between the two Red Bull drivers? Can Ferrari finally bring some race pace? We know they have quality pace. Can they bring the race pace? Mercedes, will they continue to trend in the right... right Man, will Mercedes continue to trend in the right direction? And will they start to question whether or not they need to make those big changes to their car? I think another big talking point for this upcoming weekend will be McLaren. They've been absolutely horrendous these first two weekends. Will their luck change in Australia? Can they get into the points? All very big talking points as we head to Australia for the next race. But for the time being, from the Just Sports Podcast, my name is Will Gardner. Thank you all for listening to this Formula One race recap. Make sure you tune in on April 2nd for the Australian Grand Prix, and we will be back very shortly following that for a race breakdown. So stick around from the Just Sports Podcast. My name is Will Gardner. And I am signing off. Deuces.